SCP-7034. Ah, is for aerials. Plenty of SCP articles take inspiration from mundane scenarios amped up to 11 to make a sort of relatable horror. Anyone that's been to an Ikea can understand the vaguely humorous and disquieting horror of SCP-3008. Anyone with a fear of the ocean can become easily horrified by concepts such as SCP-3000. And anyone with a fear of dying could certainly become uncomfortable by SCP-2718 and its implications. SCP-7034 takes a very mundane scenario, being stuck in traffic for an extended period of time, and ratchets up the horror of the experience. SCP-7034 is an extra-dimensional space of indeterminate length, unverified composition, and unknown features. According to the sole account that the Foundation has of the space, from senior researcher Richard Battaglia, it resembles a controlled access interstate highway containing a single stretch of paved road with eight lanes cordoned by guardrails on each side. Other features, including those present beyond the guard railing, are indiscernible due to a heavy smog laying over the area. Electronic signals, such as cellular service and internet access, seem to be impeded inside of the space. The space is highly congested, with traffic, with all lanes occupied by a variety of vehicles, and the length of this congestion, including its endpoint, is unknown. Attempts to identify these vehicles via license plate numbers have been met with varying degrees of success, with a number of them aligning with missing persons reports, although some are geographically disparate from the supposed access point to the space. The means by which the space can be accessed are also unclear, as the Foundation became aware of it when Richard disappeared after emerging from a tunnel while commuting on Interstate Highway I-85. He established contact with the Foundation several hours into the congestion thanks to a paratechnical one-way communication device after suspecting that he was inside of an anomaly. He first sends a test message to confirm the device is working and then states that he is senior researcher Richard Battaglia of Area 179's Department of Containment. He says that he's not sure who at the mothership is going to be receiving this, but it seems they can stop making fun of him for lugging around this emergency kit. If this is just an ordinary traffic jam, they can disregard the message and laugh at him as much as they want after he's back, but he's not sure where he is. He's on his way home for Christmas, and he guesses that he's an hour past the state lines of Georgia when he got out of a tunnel and rolled up to a detour. He's been stuck in traffic for what he guesses to be 10 hours now, but it's hard to tell with the fog. They're moving forward, but barely, and he's already urinated into a bottle twice so far. A truck horn is heard in the distance, and he mentions that he came off of exit 242 on I-85 before ending the message. In his next message, Richard says that it's 6 in the morning now, and it's still as dark as it was at midnight. The fog isn't lifting either, and when he tried to roll his window down, he got hit with an awful smell and went into a coughing fit. 
He fell asleep a little, but the row ahead moved forward like an inch and the driver behind him laid into his horn. He can see cars building up in his rearview mirror and tells them to just send someone. His next message is from a few hours later and he says that the sky is still black. He should be hugging his kid right now as he had a whole surprise day planned out for him and he knows that his wife has been getting him excited for it. He's tired, as everyone here has to be, but he's staying awake with an energy drink and some old new metal CDs he hasn't listened to since college. He's trying to squeeze his way onto the shoulder, but he doesn't think there is one, just a far lane that's just as packed. The following message begins with the sounds of horns and Richard drumming his fingers on the wheel to music. He mentions that someone just got rear-ended, as they probably fell asleep, but he's moving forward now. Richard thinks that he should be fine for another few hours, as he stayed up longer than this before, and the caffeine is working. He muses that his kid is probably up and asking what the surprise is, and his wife has probably called him at least a hundred times. He trails off as he remarks on how much his legs hurt. His next message starts with him coughing and swearing, saying that he can't even step out of the car as the exhaust fumes are everywhere and overwhelm him. Also, as soon as he barely opened his door, the drivers behind him flipped their lids and started honking and waving him back. He punches his steering wheel and groans, asking how this is fair. He's on his way home on a break after a year of nothing but paperwork, and he can't even spend time with his family. He doesn't know what to do, stuck like this without food or water, as he has no field experience and can't even turn back if he wanted to. He begins to hyperventilate and his breathing becomes labored as the message ends. The next message comes the following day and Richard apologizes for whatever he sent last night as he forgot what he said. It's been two days now on the dot, and he's living off of a sip of water every six hours, with no clue what anyone else is doing to survive. He hasn't slept more than an hour without someone laying into their horn, and it's all they seem to care about, just moving forward. The part that really messes with him, though, is that if they all stepped out of their vehicles, they could communicate and work together. He's not sure though, as he's never talked to people and organized things, but you'd think that someone would have done something by now. He's going to see if he can talk to the driver next to him. The sounds of a window rolling down are heard, and for the next 10 minutes, the audio only picks up the sounds of wind, horns, and engines. He eventually rolls the window back up and says that the guy next to him is Michael, an older guy that got here from a different highway entirely, I-70. He sends them Michael's license plate number and says that they're planning something. Michael's going to talk to the driver next to him, and hopefully they'll soon have a whole row of drivers that are willing to get out of their cars. Maybe the ones behind them will then get out as well, or maybe they won't and they'll just run them all down. Richard says that in the worst case scenario, he does have a gun. He needs this to work though, as he's starving and scared. His wife is probably losing her mind over this, as it's not like the Foundation would inform her of the situation. 
Later, Richard says that Michael got through to the person next to him, and they're talking to the next person over, so they might be able to pull this off. If this is his last message, he's either a pile of guts on the road, or he died of a pulled muscle after sitting in his car for so long. But it won't be, because they're getting out of here. In his next message, Richard laughs and says that it went better than he expected, and he's laying down in his back seat right now. He hopped out of his car as soon as they stopped, with the gun in his pocket, and immediately the driver behind him started slamming on their horn. They stopped, though, when Michael opened his door, and soon everyone in their row was out of their cars. The fumes were suffocating, along with the heat, but no one got back in their cars. Then the row behind them funneled out, and Richard notes that they're all just ordinary people, each just as scared and tired and unwashed as him. He says that that was a major relief, as he was half expecting monsters or something. They weren't able to stay out for more than ten minutes, and some went back in before then. The air is just too harsh, but they did organize a plan. The people who wanted to keep moving forward did so, but the rest set up their cars to form a barricade for all the lanes except the middle one for people that wanted to pass through. He's immensely relieved at being able to turn his car off and lay down. There's currently no long-term plan, and he says there really can't be one. They've secured some supplies from tractor trailers who've come by, like warm water and soda, but they're screwed when it comes to anything else. Without refrigeration or electricity, they'll last a few days at most. The air is also a problem but he's struggling to think of a solution. They'll either suffocate in a cramped car, or choke on exhaust. Richard sleeps before sending another message, and mentions that an 18-wheeler joined up with them, and he's in the back of it now, sweating, while it's still cooler in there than it is outside. There are others in the back with him, and he says that there's no consensus on what's happening here. Some say it's purgatory. One woman thinks it's a dream, while others don't even think it's supernatural at all. He's trying his hardest to tell everyone to keep their heads up, that help is coming, but it's been four days now, and he doesn't know if it is. He knows that these messages are going through, but he assumes that they haven't found a way in yet, or they did, but they're too far back to reach him. He's going to try and keep the group together, so if the Foundation is there, they'll know where to find him. In his next message, he coughs and says that they made a pulley system from a tow truck. Over the guardrails, there's just a bunch of fog, but who knows what's on the other side. He complains about his chest, but he says that he'll be fine. He just has to get used to the fumes. They have masks, as someone was stocked up on boxes of them in the back of her car, and they make it a little more tolerable. He remarks that once they get out of this, he's living in the shower for a month. It's a while before his next message, but he says that he was busy today, as he was lowered over the guard railing. They had about 300 feet of rope, but he still couldn't see the bottom, just fog and a smell that got worse the lower you went. It also got hotter as well, and he puked multiple times. He admits that he wanted to unhook himself, 
and fall into the mist to see where he ended up, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. He still wants to get out of here, and says that he loves his family and is going to see them again. If he doesn't move forward, though, and get back on the road, he's going to die here. They have some water, but they're starving here and they're wasting their time. He then sobs for a while before collecting himself, saying that when they pulled him back up and he told them that there was nothing down there, he could see the same realization on their faces. Some were still optimistic, and he says that the number of incoming cars had slowed down now so that you could feasibly drive backwards on the highway fairly quickly. He decided to take someone's motorcycle and set off back the way he came. He rode for hours, but you can't recognize anything in here, with no landmarks or markings, just a road that stretches on forever. No matter how far he went, he was still here, but even with a helmet and mask, the smog was too much. He had to stop and lay down twice and could have been killed. Nothing had to be said when he arrived back at the group, and he saw only tired, helpless faces, now without a shred of hope left on them. In the next message, he says that people are starting to leave, and he's wondering if he should follow or not. They had a meeting at the rig, and decided that it was for the best. They can cooperate all they like, but they're wasting time when they could be moving forward. It's not like they're not in their cars most of the day anyways, and who knows how much smog he inhaled yesterday. He could stay here and starve, or he could hurl himself over the edge of the railing, but he's going to keep moving forward for his son and wife. The following message is a conversation between Richard and Michael, with Richard not seeming to realize that the device is recording. They joke about how Richard's son's birthday is the week after Christmas, so he doesn't have to get as many gifts, but Richard promised that he'd never do that. Michael wonders how some of the other people here are doing it, the ones who didn't stop. Richard jokes that maybe there's a rest stop, like a Taco Bell or something, but really he guesses that if they didn't stop and work together, they probably didn't make it. When he was stuck in traffic, he kept telling himself that the next time he'd fall asleep, it would be in his own bed, next to his wife. He tells Michael to watch his sips, as they only have one case, and then notices the recorder and shuts it off. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey... Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. In the next message, Richard says that he's finally on the road again, and he's traveling in a small convoy with Michael and two college-aged sisters, in case something happens. The road's clear now, with no traffic so they're covering ground. They did over 400 miles today, and he sees so many cars parked on the sides of the highway. He doesn't know if they did something similar to what he did, or if they're just dead. He doesn't know what they're going to find, 
as he's not remotely prepared for bodies and death and all of that. He never saw a man die in his 20 years at the Foundation, and that's got to be a record. All they can do, though, is continue to move forward, as there has to be an end. He's going to hold out for as long as he can. Later, he says that things are getting worse, as they saw a car in the middle of the lane with the driver slumped over the wheel. Richard remarks that that's someone who's never going home, whose family and friends are going to be wondering where he is, and what the last thing he said to them was. Later still, he notes that he's running out of gas, so he'll have to hop into Michael's car, or the girl's. He mentions that there's cars parked along the side, but says that he's not going to do that. In the next message, he reports that they've scavenged some food today, as someone blew the tires out on a tractor trailer marked as a supermarket distribution truck. The whole thing was on its side in the middle of the road, and half the food was gone, with most of the remaining stuff rotting, but it's something. Later, Richard begins to swear repeatedly, and says that he's not equipped to handle this. One of the sisters ran out of her car while they were all sleeping, and jumped off of the side. Richard watched her, but by the time he tried to move, she was over the edge. Her sister's a wreck now, and Michael is trying to comfort her, but Richard remarks that who even cares about them, and begins to cry. In another message, he reports that he's out of fuel now, so he's with Michael, and the other sister is still with them. He told Michael what he's doing with this recorder, as who really cares, and if they do make it, they can just amnesticize him. Later, he remarks that the terrain's getting worse, as there's more crashed cars and some bodies. They saw someone with a flat tire that he thinks was a part of their original group, who tried to flag them down. Unfortunately, they're already hurting for fuel, and he's more weight. It's not like they couldn't have helped him, though, as Michael has a spare tire, but they have problems of their own. They'll have to move the spare tire from view, as he saw someone get raided the other night for theirs, but their engine keeps sputtering, and his knees are practically cooking from the heat. In the next message, Richard says that someone fired a shot at them, hiding behind their car, but he fired back and took out one of their tires. They stop shooting then, and unless they have a spare or can take one from someone, they're pretty screwed. That's how it is here, though, and he feels like scum because he doesn't even regret what he did. They're driving in shifts now instead of parking to sleep, as they can't waste time. Later, Richard swears and reports that they're out of gas now. The other sister is no longer with them, and he guesses that they just lost track of her within the past few hours, as it's hard to see with all the fumes. The food's all gone bad now as well, so he doesn't know what they're going to do. There's never a car too far away from them, but he really doesn't want to have to do this. Unfortunately, he does and says that he doesn't really care, as he didn't hurt anyone, and they would have done the same to him. The fuel he got will get them another couple hundred miles, as long as he doesn't hit congestion again, but he thinks that Michael wants to ditch him. 
He'd be an idiot if he tried to pull anything when Richard is the one with the gun, and he doesn't even close his eyes around Michael anymore. Richard's next message is directed at his son, and he says that he missed Christmas and he's sorry, but he's going to make it up to him. When he gets out of here, he's going to quit, as he's made enough money now and he'll spend the rest of his life with him, he promises. He's not going to let him down again, ever. And then he asks God to just let him out of this. Later, Michael's car finally dies, and Richard is on his own now, although he doesn't state what happened to Michael. There was an SUV near him that used to belong to a family of five, so he smashed the window open and threw the bodies on the road. There's bodies all over the road now, covered in tracks and blood. He even saw a head in the grill of a pickup truck, and he mentions that there is water all around him, in the form of blood, but he's not going to do that. Later, he says that it's getting harder to drive straight, as there's so much stuff in the road. He thinks he ran someone over, but he doesn't know, and doesn't want to think about it. There isn't traffic anymore, as there isn't any room for it, just burning wrecks and bodies. Sometimes he passes people, and notes that sometimes they're eating the bodies. He says that they can die back there, but he's getting out of this. He's getting further than anyone else because he loves his son and is going to make it up to him. In the next message, he says that there's a massive pile of waste in the way, consisting of wrecked cars and lots of bodies. The pile is burning, and he can't even see the top. He's going to have to get out of the car and climb over it. He later updates by coughing and swearing and saying that he got to the top, but he passed out on the wreckage. He cut himself so many times he can feel the grease in his wounds, but he got over it. There's no cars ahead, as they couldn't get past the pile, and the fires burn through the smog. He's in a car again, and every second he's just thinking of getting home and coming out of this alive. He should be dead by now, but he's not, and that means something to him. Later he says that there were cars on his left, but he doesn't know where they came from. The one on his left came to a stop, and the driver stepped out, but all of a sudden this tractor-trailer came barreling out of nowhere and ran right into the man. Richard says that if they ever do that to him, he's going to kill them too. Still later, Richard says that someone just tried to run him off the road, but he didn't let them. He doesn't care who it was, and says that it feels like it's just him out here, him and the bodies. In the next message, Richard is laughing and says that there's an incline in the distance and it's going up into the clouds. He's excited that he's making it out and he puts his car into full speed. He continues climbing upwards for at least an hour and is still excited, saying that he'll be home soon and he deserves this. The smog is clearing out and he's in the clouds now, continuing to go higher and higher. Eventually, the road evens out, and he comes up behind another car. The sounds of engines and horns are heard, and the highway thins into a single lane with cars ahead of him. He swears and says that he's not doing this again, 
wondering how they got this far. The road is very narrow here, and he can't even open his door due to the railing, so he begins to hyperventilate. He panics and begins to sob and scream for the next 20 minutes, banging on his car and punching his window until it shatters. No transmission is then received from Richard for 18 hours, until we get one last message. Hello? I have to speak up. Okay, good. Still good. This is... Senior Researcher, Richard Battaglia. Area 179, Department of Containment. I've processed that this is... is going to be my last message. The smog cleared up a few hours ago, and... I can see ahead of me now. There's a tunnel at the end of the road. One massive, gaping tunnel sitting up here in the clouds. Looks man-made, but I know it can't be. Inside is pitch black. Can't make any details out. There's these bursts of fumes coming from the inside. And the lane... The only lane. Fuck. We're funneling into it. My car gave out. I'm sure you can hear that noise. It's me getting pushed by who's ever behind me. Just... a slow approach into whatever the hell's in that tunnel. I already had my breakdown. Punched the shit out of my window. Broke my hand, I think. I've just... Accepted it now. That's either my way out, or it's over. I can't fully shake the hope, but it's... God, it sucks. What was it all for? What was any of that effort for? Article 32F of the Foundation Employees' Rights Policy. In the event of certain death while in the field... Foundation personnel may request that their kin be made aware of the details of their passing. I don't want her to hear all of this. But I have enough time to... Fuck. Sean. I'm sorry that Daddy couldn't be there for you. No excuses. I should have got out of this the second you came into my life. I won't ever see your graduation. Your first day of first grade, or your face when... When you see your sister for the first time. I won't be there to watch either of you grow up. And that's my fault. I love you. You... You can hate me. I understand. Bree. I knew... I always knew. Just promise me that whoever you bring around when I'm gone loves you. Treats the kids right. You know that, though. Uh, I love you. I never stopped loving you. If I come out the other side, I want this burned. 
Going in now. Further communication was not received until a week later, consisting of 20 transmissions all containing only feedback, heavy distortion, the sounds of horns, and screaming. The document finishes by noting that a total of 83,000 unexplained disappearances have been linked to the U.S. interstate highway system. There's no getting around the fact that this overall concept, an endless alternate dimension that people become trapped in with no hope of survival, has been done multiple times across the SCP universe. There's even an SCP that I've covered previously that's also about an endless road. SCP-5322. But what makes this one its own thing and worth reading is, of course, the characterization. Richard is not a brave man, by his own admission, and early on he doesn't know if he can handle this. He can't talk to people, he can't organize things, he has no field experience, he's a paper pusher. But he's driven, and often that's all it really takes for someone to keep going against dire odds. He's driven to be there for his son, because he hasn't been there in the past, and that determination takes him all the way to the end of the road, when so many others fail to make it. No, we don't really get an answer on what the road is, or where the final tunnel leads, but that's often the case for an SCP article. It certainly could be a highway to hell, with those succumbing to the road forced into eternal torment while those that manage to make it to the end earn something a little better. Or maybe there's no explaining it, much like there's no explaining most anomalies, and Richard didn't really accomplish anything. As usual though, horror works best when it humanizes its characters, and I'd like to think that Richard earned himself some sort of happy ending, even if that's just wishful thinking.